0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the PCICS podcast, the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society, where we discuss challenging cases, interesting hot topics, and many other areas relevant to our field. This time, on Episode 6, David here interviews Russ Raffley, one of the pioneers in our field, about his role experiences and recollections about the development of our field as well as his early career in pediatric cardiac intensive care medicine. Before we start, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, or Stitcher. And if you want more information about the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society, you can visit our website at PCICS.org where you can find lots of great content, resources, or become a member.
1: This is David Hare, Chief of Cardiac Critical Care at the Moore's Cardiac Center at AI Dupont Hospital. Today, I have the pleasure of bringing to you a conversation with Russ Raffley, former Division Chief of Critical Care Medicine at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and currently the Co-Director of the Moore's Cardiac Center. As an anesthesiologist and critical care physician, Russ has had a long and storied career in our field, and I bring to you this conversation as part of a series of podcasts of pioneers and innovators in the field of pediatric cardiac critical care. Welcome Russ and thank you for talking with me today.
2: Thank you David.
1: So I'd love to share with the listeners the story of how you came into this career at the beginning of what has become cardiac critical care medicine. Um, Can you share with us a little bit of your early experience in your education and training which led to this path?
2: I had done my specialty residency at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania in the Department of Anesthesiology, uh, included a rotation down at the Children's Hospital for all uh, persons who had uh, trained at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. My rotation was late in my residency, in fact in the last six months of my residency, and it was during that rotation that I met two individuals who have had a who had a major impact on my career. One was Len Bachman, who was, at that time, the director of the Division of Anesthesiology in the Department of Surgery at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And he had a vision that anesthesiology skills that were acquired in the operating room would benefit patients outside of the operating room, particularly those with respiratory disability. Uh, In keeping with that vision, he had hired a uh, an associate, John Downs, who had uh, done specific training with Chris Lambertson at uh, the University of Pennsylvania in respiratory physiology, and Jack had an interest, uh, after having, a tragi- having tragically lost uh, a baby to uh, idiopathic respiratory distress syndrome, uh, sought to uh, improve the care of those patients. And it was Jack's interest uh, in this respiratory support, harmonized with Len Bachman's uh, view that anesthesias can contribute outside of the operating room, that had a major impact on on me. And when I rotated through the children's hospital during my specialty residency, uh, they impressed me sufficiently That I wanted to, or I decided to do, uh, additional training in pediatric anesthesia, and and at that time critical care wasn't actually a um, thought; it was just an extension of our anesthesiology practice. Uh, However, there were no open location uh, opportunities uh, at that time, so I had made a commitment to serve in the military and under the Barry Plan. So I entered the U.S. Navy, and did a two-year. reserve in the U.S. Navy, one of, part of which included service in Vietnam. When I returned, I, uh, I had a, uh, applied for a position and fellowship at, at Children's Hospital of, uh, of Philadelphia with Len Bachman and Jack Downs, and there was an opening, uh, and I joined two other individuals who had trained in the HUP program, and the three of us were the uh, in 1968 to 1969 were the uh, fellows in pediatric anesthesia and uh, a respiratory care service that had be, was begun by Jack Downs and Len prior to my arrival. Um, after completing the residency, the draft was still in effect and many physicians had to serve in the military at that time following their training since I had completed my uh, service in the military, no longer had an obligation, uh, and uh, was interested in a career in pediatric anesthesia and critical care, uh, I was offered a job, and fortunately I, uh, I was able to uh, get the position at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And shortly thereafter, actually that was in 1969, about a year and a half to two years later, Len Bachman, who was always interested in politics and had served as an advisor to Governor Shap, left the department subsequently to become the Secretary of Health in the department in Pennsylvania. And about a, uh, six months after that, I learned that Jack Downs was interested in perhaps becoming the director of the department, of, or the division of critical care, or the director of the unit at the Hospital for Sick Children at Toronto. And so, if that turned out to be, I had gone from the most junior member of the department to the most senior member. As it turned out, uh, Jack Downs remained, and he chose not to take the position at um, the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. And subsequently, the board at the Children's Hospital and the medical staff agreed that he would become the, the division director. And I repeat division there. At the time, we were a division in the Department of Surgery. Within a year after that of Dak Down's leadership, we became an independent department of anesthesiology. At that time, when Jack was offered the position, he said to me, although I enjoyed doing the work there, I had not planned on that, he said to me, why don't you consider critical care as a career, Russ? I think it would be a good career for you. I said, okay, I will do that and it, as it turned out it became it was a tremendous uh, career for me and has been one that uh, I've appreciated and enjoyed uh, every m- moment of it actually and uh, it's due to those two individuals and particularly Jack subsequently suggesting I should pursue that that uh, critical care medicine uh, has been a great part of my career. In fact, the major part of my career, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm.
1: That's fascinating. It's always amazing to me the influence that individuals have on our career paths. Um, Could you set the stage for us at that time, again, to reiterate, this is the late 60s?
2: Correct, 68, 69.
1: And what was the care of patients who required co-care like at those times? Where were they housed? Who took care of them?
2: When I... uh, a year before I started my subspecialty residency or fellowship in '68, Downs and Bachman had established a critical, a six-bed critical care unit at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. The precedent for that was uh, C. Everett Koop, who was the uh, chief of surgery at Children's Hospital, had developed a unit, a nursing unit actually, for the care of neonates who had. Uh, surgery, uh, and that was the model that was employed. And when uh, Downs and Bachman uh, felt that this, uh, their services and help in treating patients with respiratory disorders would would benefit from that kind of arrangement, uh, they had Dr. Coop's support, who had a major influence on medicine at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and were able to get the, the hospital to commit to a similar uh, unit, which was right near the operating room. And when I arrived there in 68, had been functioning for about a year, which was a six bed unit uh, with a full time director who was Jack Downs. Uh, and what was unique about that was it uh, was the first uh, extensive monitoring whereby ele- uh, electrocardiogram respiratory rate and three or four vascular pressures could be measured on a patient. And it was around that time that the first full-time cardiac surgeon arrived at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, John Waldhausen, who established a a, a more robust cardiac uh, surgical program. Uh, And so uh, many of the patients in that six bed unit were uh, patients who were recovering from cardiac surgery, as well as patients who, had respiratory disorders mostly, uh, typically uh, respiratory failure in asthmatic patients actually. So it was about that time when mechanical ventilation uh, uh, with tracheal tubes, the same tubes that were used in the operating room, began to creep into the practice of medicine and be extensively used. Because even at that time in 68, when we would have dialogue with other physicians about their patients if we suggested that they would benefit from mechanical ventilation there was also in the caution that oh my gosh if you put them on they'll never get off mechanical ventilation. So it was and seen
1: as more or less an experimental a, therapy? Experimental some and
2: something you shouldn't do because you'll never get them free from the mechanical ventilation and so with time and development of our skill and knowledge as well as advances in the me- the technical aspects of mechanical ventilation that proved to be uh, a false conclusion that uh, patients couldn't liberate from mechanical ventilation put on. And I recall one other uh, incredible advantage that I witnessed that there was when uh, patients would come in status asthmaticus, a uh, hypothesis has been formed by Talner, who was a uh, a cardiologist up at, uh, New Haven and Jack Down uh, wanted to test the hypothesis of infusing continuously a beta agonist to reverse bronchospasm and led to the use of isoproteranol in the treatment of asthma and uh, a most profound reversal of the um, bronchospasm. And in fact, Jack, Jack Down's son and a cardiac surgical resident's son who had asthma, both were treated with an isoproteranol infusion hmm. And we avoided mechanical ventilation uh, with the use of that. Yeah. But it was at this time that mechanical ventilation, the use of tracheal tubes replacing tracheostomy, was evolving in the in critical care. And and another area that was evolving is the use of. Uh, radial artery or uh, peripheral arterial catheters for monitoring blood pressure and sampling blood for blood gas measurements and other uh, uh, variables in the blood. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we started out, uh, we were very frightened that we would uh, interrupt the circulation to a hand and we would lose a hand and <laughs> and we would uh, religiously perform and cautiously think about using a rated artery catheter and religiously perform an Allen's test to be sure there was alternative circulation via the ulnar artery. That, that was a major change and a major advance that uh, I witnessed during this time when we were set up to do continuous uh, arterial pressure measurement and other vascular access, uh, other vascular pressure measurements as well.
1: Right, that, that's, those are incredible <clears throat> historical perspectives in contrast stark contrast to the way in which we manage patients today which i'm sure um, all the listeners would are um, would be fascinated to hear more of you know during your career you've witnessed a multitude of innovations and changes in the way in which we take care of patients and i think one of the things that's particularly unique about our field in pediatric cardi- cardiac critical care is that many of these innovations are born from the collaboration between the Cardiologists, intensivists, anesthesiologists, and clearly the surgeons. Um, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what those collaborations were like in your life, and you know specifically, you know the dyad, the relationship that you had with perhaps the most famous surgeon that you worked with, Dr. Norwood, and how he came on the scene at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia.
2: Sure. Um, one of the things uh, was I remember actually was. We didn't have, until uh, Waldhausen arrived, a, a regular full-time cardiac surgeon at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Julian Johnson would come down from the hospital of the University of Pennsylvania on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday and do a case, and we would do about 100 or 150 cases per year. Uh, and John Waldhausen replaced him. He was there for full-time in a short while and then took the position of chief of surgery at Hershey. In 1994, Bill Norwood came on the scene for a, after we had conducted a search and we went from 150 cardiac surgical procedures to 453 in the first year he was there. Well you can imagine quadrupling the patient load virtually what impact that on, had on the ICU and we had at that time a 30 bed ICU that was divided into 15 which we called acute beds 10 intermediate beds, and 5 single-bedroom isolation unit. Well, when Norwood came and did this, uh, this number of cases, he completely took over, or his patients completely occupied all the 15 locations in the acute, leaving only then 15 locations for the rest of the Children's Hospital critically ill patients, mm-hmm. including those with circulatory and respiratory and central nervous system disorders. So that and the overwhelming challenge that those patients presented, particularly because Norwood brought him the Norwood procedure for HLHS, and patients from all over the world were coming for that operation for him to perform there, and we were learning a lot about the management of those patients after they had the surgery in in, in the unit, and so He then uh, acquired an associate in Marshall Jacobs, then, and together the the two of them were performing over 750 procedures a year, Mm -hmm. which would uh, and most of those required care after they were operated upon in the ICU. So it became clear, clear that if there was going to be a specialty ICU, it was likely to be a cardiac ICU because that would sustain the nursing workforce and and the economics of an ICU and the and the uh, personnel necessary to manage those patients so after uh, enduring that occupancy of uh, 15 and then we did a couple of small modification in that unit to go up to 18 uh, it was decided that in 1995 i believe that a dedicated cardiac ICU would be constructed, which would leave, relieve the pressure and once again have uh, more uh, locations for non-cardiac surgical patients. So um, it, it was the impact uh, of Norwood, incorporation in the management of an otherwise fatal illness of the Norwood procedure that was the inspiration for Intensive Care Unit dedicated to cardiac patients. And I will say that uh, that wasn't a uh, organ-specific pediatric ICUs weren't favored by pediatric intensivists. They Mm -hmm. felt that uh, we would be better off if we had patients mixed in in the unit so that uh, the the pediatric intensivists could play a role in all of those. But uh, I think... Over the years now, uh, if you take that period of time, more than 20 years of that, it's proven to be the case that one, it's reasonable uh, to have at least a cardiac dedicated intensive care unit. The other ones, perhaps a neurologic intensive care unit or a respiratory unit, haven't been as commonly employed, I think, but certainly there are numerous illustrations whereby cardiac intensive care units have arisen. Mm -hmm. And uh, the early places that that happened were probably at Michigan and Boston Children's Hospital and the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and perhaps the Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C. I don't think many other institutions uh, at that early stage, at least in the 90s, had dedicated cardiac ICUs, at least as I Mm -hmm. recall anyway.
1: Terrific. I'd also like to acknowledge the tremendous impact that you have had personally on the field in regards to training uh, fellows Mm -hmm. um, in critical care medicine, and um, so I wonder if you could touch a little bit on the early days of developing um, the fellowship program at -hmm. the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and what has that meant to your career?
2: Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, in those early days, even before I got there, Bachman and Downs had recruited individuals, principally anesthesiologists, for Careers in pediatric anesthesia, as they were evolving this critical this uh, respiratory care effort, subsequently developing the critical care effort. The persons recruited began to broaden, and there was no certification in critical care medicine at that time. So there was uh, virtually a one-year opportunity for people to obtain training in critical care as well as pediatric anesthesia, and. We were very fortunate at that time in recruiting almost exclusively persons who had trained in anesthesiology and pediatrics, and uh, it wasn't a great burden on them because they would do three years of pediatric residency, mostly the pediatric residency was first, subsequently two years of anesthesia residency, and then one year in pediatric anesthesia and critical care. And we had some extraordinarily high-quality people, including two of my associates here at the uh, A.I. Dupont Hospital for Children, Debbie Davis and uh, Ellen Spurrier. Uh, And so for a long while, until uh, 1986, actually, we were training virtually all dual-tamed people in both anesthesia and critical care medicine, along and came the certification in 1986 for uh, subspecialty certification in critical care medicine in the four specialties of surgery, medicine, pediatrics, and anesthesiology. And pediatric subspecialty certification in critical care medicine uh, first became in 1987. And thereafter, um, we were recruiting uh, still dual-trained individuals, but the transformation began to occur whereby more persons trained in pediatrics were doing the subspecialty residency in uh, critical care medicine. And so I think at the moment, uh, I'm not sure what the mixture is, but I would venture to say that the most common uh, specialty in critical care medicine subspecialty training at CHOP is probably pediatrics with a smattering of those dual-trained persons or anesthesiologists who have an interest. Sadly to say, uh, anesthesiologists' uh, interest in critical care medicine is maintained, but it's not as robust as it could be. And so I think uh, without uh, persons to fulfill those positions, uh, now most of the pediatric critical care persons are uh, pediatricians who are trained in that specialty and now do a, a, a subspecialty in critical care medicine.
1: Terrific. Well, I'm sure you're aware that there's an ongoing conversation in our field in regards to what the ideal training might be for one who will practice cardiac critical care for their career, um, and I, I wonder if you could comment a bit upon what you have envisioned as the ideal mix of skill sets that must be brought to bear on these patients.
2: Uh, That's a a very good question. Actually, Uh, it's challenging in my view. Uh, Obviously, what I would like to see is somebody trained in anesthesiology, pediatrics, and pediatric cardiology. Frankly, yeah. Uh, yeah, That doesn't. I don't mean to leave out a surgeon either. If they chose to do it, although most people who train in cardiac surgery, in particular, congenital cardiac surgery aren't willing to spend most of their time in an ICU rather than in the operating room. Mm-hmm. But uh, certainly if we could have those three or four uh, specialties or subspecialties, however you want to consider cardiothoracic surgery a specialty of sur- surgery, but if we could have that. If we can't, uh, I, I would say um, probably uh, a, those trained in Pediatrics, cardiology, and critical care would be um, my preference. Although, even though I'm an anesthesiologist with certain skills in, uh, that uh, are 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 useful in a in an intensive care unit, um, I think the the uh, the uh, having the skills in cardiology, pediatrics, and critical care probably take a little bit of an edge over. Uh, the specialty of anesthesiology, but uh, certainly there's a lot of skill and, and approach that uh, one acquires by being an anesthesiologist that proves useful as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it varies. I don't think there's a uniformity throughout the country of uh, how we do it. I know there are certain institutions that have only cardiology trained intensivists there, and there are others who have a mixture. So I'm not sure we probably should look at that in some way to get some uh, good information as to Mm -hmm. which one seems to serve us best. Mm -hmm. Certainly
1: constantly an evolving story. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you to reflect upon your experiences with uh, the birth of um, the Society of Critical Care Medicine and what that has meant to the field and um, the subsequent development of it development of a pediatric subsection of of that. um, If you could reflect a little bit on how that all came to be um, and and what your involvement has been in that and what that's meant to your career.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, the origin of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, which is the only uh, organization that is devoted fully to critical care medicine, actually, in the US, anyway, but um, the origin of that was uh, a famous person in resuscitation and critical care, Peter Safar, started a program at the University of Pittsburgh uh, which did critical care and would hold an annual meeting at and there uh, at uh, the University uh, of Pittsburgh Medical Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Out of that program with a number of individuals who were founders of critical care, a a, uh, professional organization devoted to this effort uh, was conceived and in 1972 became a reality. And if one tracks in my mind uh, how specialties and subspecialties uh, evolve is parallel with their science and their educational effort and their patient care effort must be some organized activity to um, advocate for uh, the specialty or subspecialty, if you will, Uh, because uh, the United States is kind of a group of advocacy efforts, actually, whereby we all try and uh, advocate for our own area of interest and we come to a compromise in terms of uh, that sort of reaching what's best for the entire country. So having a a, uh, organization that champions what the practitioners, all of our team members do in critical care is appropriate, uh, particularly uh, as a forum for educational uh, exchange as a uh, activity that organizes and uh, helps fund, if you will, investigative activity and research, and furthermore, uh, advocates for its members uh, in terms of what they wanna do and uh, what's beneficial for the members of uh, of the specialty or subspecialty. And in fact, the importance of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, where its members and originally the persons who were advocating Aki Grenvik and others in the Society of Critical Care Medicine, who who appealed to the uh, American Board of Medical Specialties to establish that, failed to do so, but convinced them that, and the board accepted the fact that there was a body of knowledge that merited subspecialty certification and. Originally, it, were the, it was the four specialties of surgery, medicine, pediatrics, and anesthesiology that had subspecialty certification. Now there are six. The two additional ones are emergency medicine and OBGYN uh, have subspecialty certification in critical care medicine. And, and individuals who are, uh, pursue a career in critical care can turn to the Society of Critical Care Medicine for a number of issues. Uh, educational, investigative advocacy or policy making uh, as uh, it uh, is germane to the practice uh, and in fact one of the important issues of getting paid for the effort that you (laughs) uh, exert there (laughs) is so um, uh, I think parallel with the development of the certification and the acknowledgement and the body of knowledge and investigation, kind of establishing the core uh, information that's important to critical care medicine. You have the parallel development of the Society of Critical Care Medicine to uh, help achieve all that we can achieve. It's been an important uh, organization in my career. I happen to be Uh, president at one point. In fact, I was president for 18 months, the only president who has had that, because we had changed uh, the uh, date of the meeting, actually, and so uh, during my first year of presidency, and so we went from a January to a June uh, thing, and so I stayed on for the additional six months uh, and did an 18-month tour as president of the society. And I'm rather proud of it because during that period of time, I think we we uh, acknowledged that uh, we would be helped if the society uh, had some role in uh, advocacy at that time. And that was a primary interest of mine as president of the society. Terrific. I think we have to think about, for cardiac critical care, is a similar approach that was used for critical care in general. Uh, with a vigorous and robust society, the uh, Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society, in playing a major role both in terms of curricula development and and, and uh, organize our investigative effort as to what we think are the highest priorities to uh, in terms of improving the care of cardiac patients and advocating for the fact that a cardiovascular focused intensive care unit for children is appropriate and and merits uh, serious consideration uh, are, are things that that the pediatric cardiac intensive care society should take on and should do and become a prominent one and 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 make sure that membership is offered to those who are doing cardiac critical care so that The more people you have in it, the more robust is going to be the National Association's activity there, and the more that can help the individuals who are doing the practice of cardiac critical care, both in terms of the patient care, guidelines, standards, curriculum development for for training so that people who come out are uniformly trained, and finally directing the investigation and organizing a, a focus, whatever is decided on by the leadership and what needs to be done to improve the care of cardiac patients. That would be an important recommendation, and it seems justified in my view.
1: Terrific. Well, certainly I I think we'd all agree with those concepts, those of us who um, believe in the mission of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. Um, I'd like to close by, again, thanking you very much for your time today. Dr. Raffley and I, and I'm sure all who have the opportunity to listen will um, will appreciate your perspective on the on the birth and the and the evolution of this career. And uh, it's you know my pleasure to work with you here at the Moore's Cardiac Center. And thank you very much for your time.
2: Oh, you're welcome, David. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for choosing me. It means that I'm old, actually. <laughs> 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 that pioneering wise, thing. but. But uh, I I enjoyed it, and it's been a great career for me. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thanks,
0: everybody, for listening. Please look out for our next episode on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or subscribe to get the latest episodes as they're released. Check out our website at PCICS.org. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at PCICS2 or on Facebook. The song I Don't Know by Grapes was used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license.